Comments made on the Ceratoc Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratoc Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Triple Click Home. Welcome to Triple Click Home, episode 23. Weren't we just doing 22 last month? Yeah, I guess we were. I think anyway, so. this is Yeah, so uh, welcome aboard, y'all. This is Buddy Brannon, and I'm joined by my cast of characters. We've got a real cast of characters. Uh, we got John Panneries from the island, which is long. That's correct. Hello, everybody. And, uh, hello. And uh, playing the part of Alina Roberts is Justin Romack. Howdy. <laughs> and he even you says You got to do a high-pitched voice, though. You know, you got to you know, <sighs> sound a little bit like her, you know? Sorry, I've got a cold. You know, it's not going to work. <laughs> but actually, Alina will be joining us later in the episode. But uh, she couldn't be here for the whole thing, but she'll be here later. And uh, we have Justin joining us today. Justin, why don't you tell all of us about all of you? <laughs> There's not much to say. No, I uh, live not in Texas. Say, I'm a, <laughs> yeah. I'm a digital marketing consultant, and I work with a lot of folks. Recently spent a, a few months with the Fedora Outlier team and uh, kind of all over the place. But uh, have a good time with it. Unlike most people who say they're consultants... Because like anyone can say they're a consultant, but unlike lots and lots of computer consultants, Justin actually has a clue. Yeah. Justin actually knows what he's doing. Well, I, I appreciate he's that. He's like really sharp. So people can follow him and he'll tell you how to do that at the end of the show. So stick around. Indeed. So, I don't know, Apple was doing some kind of thing Yeah, didn't they yesterday. have something, something yesterday? They yeah, it kind of rings a bell. Was that yesterday? Yeah, was it exactly. yesterday? Was it today? Yeah, maybe it was yesterday. It was, I don't know. They did something where they had some people show up at some, I don't know, some they place. Had people show up for a thing and they did stuff. So Apple did a bunch of stuff. They released stuff. They released software. They released hardware. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. You can read about it in the article that we have linked to the show notes. And I think a lot of what they did was really, really smart, actually. The first thing they did was they released OS X Mavericks. We've been hearing about OS X Mavericks for the past few months, and uh, they released it. People were expecting a release date. Well, they got one. It was yeah. the day of the event. So right. It's available now. And uh, what people were not expecting, I certainly wasn't expecting it, was that uh, OS X Mavericks would be a free, capitals, yeah, underlined, that- yeah, that's the first, as far as I know, the first company to ever do that. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's see, they released OS X Mavericks for free. They've been releasing updates for cheap for a while. 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 30 bucks, I think, for Snow Leopard, and then 20 bucks for Lion and Mountain Lion. And right. this free update is really for anybody that's Snow Leopard or newer, which is pretty much... Almost everybody, if you're using something older than Snow Leopard, it's because you've got a super, super old Mac that can't handle anything new right, than anyway. what you've got on it. Actually, I was wondering if they were doing this in response to Microsoft releasing Windows 8.1. Now, was 8.1, I would assume, was free, right? 8.1 was free. Yeah, well, that was really to fix the mess that 8.0 was, I think, more than anything else. I mean, that's and, true, from my understanding, it really didn't do much. No, it fixed a lot of bugs and changed a lot of interfacey things. But I mean, people were kind of calling it Windows 8 Service Pack 1 or something, you know, when it was being worked on. So 
I, I think that Mavericks is a considerably more substantial upgrade right. than was that. It certainly takes the wind out of their sails, that's for sure. Right. That's I read an article that really was talking about that. Yeah. So they're releasing it for free, and it sounds like they're going to be doing that moving forward. It sounds like that's the direction that they want to take. And, and of course, people are saying, well, Apple's not being altruistic here. Apple has oodles and gobs and scads of money right now. Yeah, it's, it's not, not hurt hurting them. them. And, you know, they're making their money elsewhere. And they're doing some really interesting things here. And we'll talk about sort of their market positioning here later on in the show, because I get to say I told you so. But along with Mavericks, let's see, they released, of course, iOS 7.0.3 dropped as well, but they didn't talk about that. We've got new versions of the iWork suite, which has been a long time in coming. Yes, yes. And that's just, I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to look at it. I haven't. I've heard rumors that that Pages has table support now. We've been screaming for that for months and months and years. Oh, thank goodness. It's awesome. I was looking at old Word docs that I, you know, used to do for the old business in Windows and, you know, Word files with tables interspersed and it handled it beautifully. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to this. I just got the update this morning and uh, have not looked at it yet. So they released that. Updates to GarageBand all free. Also, the iWork updates were free and you'll get them free with your new Mac. But, you know, Apple's not averse to making money, as we all know. Apple makes money. But they've come out with new iPads, and this was stuff that people were expecting. Well, actually, I guess we should talk about the Macs first before we talk about the iPads. Okay, so the new MacBook Pro 13 and 15-inch are all retina displays, and they're right. thin and light. Yeah, right. Yeah, they just added the Haswell processors. That was really the big kick to And the them. 80211 AC. Right, 80, right, right. Right, those are the big things, and I haven't looked at the Apple Store yet, but it looks like they've dropped the uh, MacBook Pros, the, uh, I guess you would call them now, classic MacBook Pro, the ones with the Ethernet port and the Super Drive, that would be the DVD, CD drive. Looks like those may be gone from the lineup. I think there's one... It's still on the market. Yeah, they didn't say anything about what they were doing with the classic MacBook Pro. And they didn't drop the price either. I mean, no, they, the, the they price didn't. is still yeah. the same. I don't know. Maybe they're keeping it around in case people want that for some reason. But it looks like they're really discouraging people from going with that because the one with the Retina display and the solid state drive is only $100 more than the classic one. And that's another thing. Apple's really, really going hardcore for the solid-state storage. Right. Yes, they are. Not just with the new 13, 15-inch MacBooks, but check out that Mac Pro. That's an incredible machine. I mean, it's obviously it's way beyond cr- yeah, beyond what yeah. I need, but I would just love to have one to play with for a while. My wife uses Final Cut, and we're actually looking at purchasing one. It's a beast. Wow. Oh, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. It's such a beast. It is. It's an incredible machine. The entry-level one, for heaven's sake, is respectable. Now, if you wanted to totally pimp it out, you could get a 12-core processor, and what did they say, 64 gig of RAM? Yeah, 64 gig of RAM. And uh, a terabyte SSD. I mean, that's just crazy. And what did they say, like a gigabit of bandwidth? Right. That's not network bandwidth. Of course, they've got two gigabit Ethernet ports. They're talking about... Yeah, this is for transfer rate. Yeah, it's a gig and a half in, or gig and a half right, what is it? It's a gig and a half and a gig. I forget one's reading, one's writing, and I forget which is which. It's faster than anything else I've really heard of available to normal human beings. 
<laughs> this is true. Crazy fast. We would be going from a 2011 21-inch iMac to that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. For video editing. I can't even, I mean, it's making my head spin just thinking about it, honestly. That's a big jump. Yes, it is. All this stuff has Thunderbolt 2 ports, which are, what did they say, twice as fast as the original Thunderbolt? Yes. And the original Thunderbolt was freaking, like, I don't remember, but it was fast. It's faster than USB 2. It's faster than Firewire. So here's the important question, though. Do you think I could get a campaign together to, like, have people donate so that they can buy one for my birthday? I mean, since they just almost released it on my birthday, I think it's only fair that I should get one. Donations gratefully accepted. There's a Kickstarter for everything. Yeah, there, maybe there I should is. do a Kickstarter. That's right. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> hey, you spin, it, you spin it right, it could happen. You could get, well, although, you know, Kickstarter, you only get it if people only send you money if the funding goal is reached. Whereas something like Indiegogo, I think Indiegogo, you get it regardless. When the funding closes, you get whatever is raised. I'm the digital marketing guy. I'll toss you my card, John. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> I wanted a MacBook Pro with Retina last year. I really want it this year. But what was it? It was fourteen ninety nine, fifteen ninety nine for the thirteen inch last year, John. Yeah, and they dropped it to twelve ninety nine. Yeah. Now that's with the hundred twenty eight gig drive. Right. I expect there's another one with like a two fifty six and maybe a five twelve probably. Yeah, I think you can get the five twelve and whatnot as build to order. I think you can get up to an i seven as build to order. I'm gonna have to go look at it, but. Everyone just remember all this stuff that's going on now, but Apple has its like one sale of the year, usually the day after Thanksgiving. That's true. That's right. The Black Friday. That's a good point. So save your pennies because you're going to need them, but you can save a couple of them day after Thanksgiving, which is good because the next thing that they talked about, of course, was what everyone was expecting. See, the, I don't think anyone was expecting free Mavericks, and I don't think anyone was necessarily expecting some of the stuff with the uh, MacBook Pros and stuff. Yeah, the rumor mill seemed much quieter this go-round. Yeah, other, other than, than the, the iPads. iPad. I mean, that was the only thing I heard consistently, right? That's mm-hmm. Everything else was kind of like speculation. Of course, you always had that iWatch. This is the iWatch, you know, uh, presentation, which, of course, never, never happened. happened. There wasn't a one more thing. People were saying, oh, it's going to be the one more thing. You know, I was listening to some of Leo Laporte's coverage, which was starting to annoy me because he kept talking, which I guess that's what he does. But I was trying to listen to the you know presentation, too. But anyway, he was saying, yeah, yeah. Hey, where's Tim Cook's watch? You're going to have, you know, maybe it's going to be the, you know, OK. Right. So this new iPad. Now, this I thought was really smart the way that they've got the iPad lineup now. You've got the new... Yeah, yeah, the iPad Air. 99% smart because they're still keeping the iPad too. And if they want to get rid of the 30-pin dot connector, we can talk about that in a minute. But let's go over the lineup here, okay? So you got the iPad Air, which is going to replace the iPad current generation. Yeah, fourth generation, whatever they're calling it. Whatever. But it's iPad Air's, uh, what is it? It's going to be 20... Eight percent lighter and twenty percent thinner. Point seven five millimeters thin, and it's just uh, that's crazy thin. Yeah, I can't imagine that. Okay, so like an inch is two point five centimeters, and of course, a centimeter is ten millimeters. This is less than one centimeter thick. That's amazingly thin. I just can't wait. I want to just check one out. I mean, that's going to. I do too. Just to hold one. 
Remember when the MacBook Air came out and they were saying, oh, you could like stick the MacBook Air into a folio envelope and mail it somewhere. Yeah. Right. Like you could really do that with an iPad Air. It's crazy thin. Oh, you definitely could. They're still claiming 10 hour battery life. And it's got the A7 processor, just like people were expecting. Snap it over your knee. You probably could. (laughs) Yeah. Why you would Um, want to do it after you purchased one, I don't know. Yeah, and they didn't raise the price either. Yeah. Could you chop vegetables with that too, then? (laughs) You probably could. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably thin enough. I saw a video of a guy slicing cheese with a MacBook Air, and I'm thinking, no, let's not do that. (laughs) Yeah, I could find better things to do with my MacBook Air than sliced cheese. Yeah, no kidding, right? Let's see, 5 megapixel camera. I thought that they might go with the 8 megapixel camera from the iPhone, but they didn't. Yeah, that was the only surprise to me. I thought it was really going to have the same, you know, features as the 5S. Yeah, well, and it does mostly, except just not the camera. I mean, they put in the second microphone and Siri and everything, so that was kind of good. No Touch ID, though, right? No, no Touch ID. No Touch ID. That was the other surprise, too, because I really thought they would have Touch ID. I thought they would, too. And, um, of course, people were saying, well, they're having enough trouble getting them for the iPhone. And maybe there's some truth to that. Now, this is an interesting bit of speculation. I was listening to Mac OS Ken. Do you listen to Mac OS Ken? No, no. I don't either. So I was listening to Mac OS Ken, and he's like, total, he's total, total speculation. He says, well, we've got the iPad Air What's an iPad Air without like an iPad Pro? Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll come out with an iPad Pro in a while, and then that one will have the Touch ID. But I don't know what else they'd put into an iPad Pro. The naming convention is really interesting. I mean, this has changed with the past two generations, or even three generations of the iPad. It has not been consistent at all, so I wonder. No. I do wonder if the direction is headed that way. Right. The only other be. thing I can think of for Touch ID, though, is... I still think there's more to the story. I don't think it's just the convenience factor. I mean, I think this is going to play into a mobile wallet or a mobile payment kind of system. And I wonder how much sense that makes on an iPad. Uh, I don't have the LTE version. so Yeah, neither do I. It's Wi-Fi only. And if I'm like at a Starbucks, I could make a payment with you know my Wi-Fi iPad. But it's not as connected as, say, my iPhone. So I wonder if that plays into it at all. That kind of thing makes a little more sense on a phone to me. On a tablet, I don't know, that doesn't really make a good use case to me. Sure. I mean, I doubt it has very little to do with why it's not present on the iPad. I'm sure we'll see it eventually. But it did kind of surprise me that there was no Touch ID on this iPad Air. Here's another thing that surprised Okay, two things that surprised me. First, iPad 2. Tim Cook says, well, people still wanted an iPad in a full size, but, you know, they like that lower price point. Okay, great. And people are asking, well, why didn't they just use the fourth generation? And then, of course, you'd have that. Well, if they did that, I think the big differentiator in most people's eyes here is the retina display. And the fourth generation and even the third generation had the retina display. Right. That's a good point. So I think for that reason, it If no other, that's probably why they went with the two at the lower price point at at full size. Because most people are probably not going to care about dual microphones. Or if they're wanting to pay less, they're A5, A5, okay, A5, A7, why do I care about that? It's going to be the retina display. And that's the big differentiator, especially on a tablet, I think, is what the deal is with that. Well, with that iPad 2, the price point that it's at, the closest competitor would be the Nexus 7, correct? It would be the Nexus 
seven, like the, what is it? The Nexus 10? It's like the Android 10 inch tablet. Okay, right. So, but spec for spec, I think the Nexus might have it outmatched just a little bit, right? Yeah. Like based on screen Probably. resolution. Yeah. I would guess. Yeah, I, I, would, I, would, guess. I would I don't think know so off the too. top of my head. So I'm honestly surprised that the price point didn't dip a little bit on the iPad 2 because it's what, $299? No, it's $399. Right. Yeah, because the, yeah, the original mini is $299 now. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is where I think they were really smart because they introduced the new iPad mini with the um, Retina display, okay? Everyone was expecting that. Yeah, and it's got the A7 and 64. The A7, that I was not expecting. Me. I was thinking A6 for that. Right, exactly. So it starts out at 399 and I thought that was really smart. Now, here's the really, really smart thing, though. They kept the original iPad mini, and they priced it at 299 Right. And I think that was super smart. Now, people are going to say, well, you know, I can get a Nexus 7 for 229 I can get an Amazon Kindle Fire HDX for 229 16 gig. But they're not Apple. Right. That's the difference, and that's the point. You know, like it or not, People will pay a premium for that name and for the and ecosystem. ecosystem. Right, yeah. right. You're absolutely right. I've got an Apple, and it's not unapologetically plastic. All the iPads are glass <laughs> and aluminum, right? Yep. You're paying some for that. And there are definitely compelling things about the iPad that people will pay extra for, as evidenced by, look, you can get a tablet for 100 bucks. And uh, iPad is still the tablet leader, albeit not by as much as they were in 2009, but they still are. So there's still something to be said for that. Right. And I found it interesting when he mentioned the stat about that iPad users, people who actually use their tablets, outnumber all of the other guys collected together four to one. You know, that's a telling statistic. So in other words, people may be getting these other tablets for birthday presents, whatever, but they don't use them in the way that iPad users use their iPads. Oh, and iPad users really use their iPads. Melanie would be lost without her iPad. Again, I think that has a lot to do with the ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much available. But I think that Apple is really smart the way they position these. I think you're right. In a way, they're shutting up all the, uh, they need to make a cheaper fill-in-the-blank while at the same time holding on to their sort of premium brand position, their premium, what am I trying to say, their uh, luxury brand status. Right. Because you know they're going to sell like hotcakes at the holidays. For sure. Gosh, that two ninety nine price point for an iPad mini? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're going to sell millions. It's not the Retina one, and it's the A5 or... Yes, I think think so. Yeah, so it's the same processor as the iPad 2. But for folks who don't have a benchmark, like I've got family members who have never used an iPad before and there's no benchmark there for them. They would easily gobble it up. so the expectation is not there. It's just going to be awesome you know, for whatever. Absolutely. For sure. And like we got Alina, our daughter, last year, her iPad mini and she loves it. She doesn't care that it's not an A7. You know, it plays Angry Birds. She's happy. (laughs) That's right. So that was yesterday's event. Lots of good stuff, a couple of real surprises, lots of free stuff, upgrades that made a lot of sense. Again, the iPad 2 thing, the whole 30-pin dot connector deal, I don't know, it sounds like that's going to be around for a while. Yeah, I mean, they have those adapters, you know, that you can still get, you know, so. Speaking of adapters, with the iPhone 5S, of course, I upgraded from a 4S, and I still had this Bose sound dock 
which had the 30-pin dot connector in it. And I thought, you know, I don't really want to have to buy a whole new Bose speaker just for a dot connector, for goodness sake. So, of course, you know, you can get the 30-pin dock to lightning adapter, which you're going to have to get anyway, right? There's a little gadget, and someone might say that $15, well, $20 after shipping for a piece of plastic is a bit excessive, but I'll tell you, there's a something that I found. It was a Kickstarter campaign that completed, and, and they're in production now, and, and anyone can get it. It's called Flybridge, and Flybridge is a little piece of plastic Take the dock adapter out of your thing that has a dock connector on it and you put this thing in there and you slip your uh, Apple iPhone to lightning adapter into it and plug it onto the 30-pin adapter. And it's a little stand that holds up your iPhone. So, I mean, like you could put your iPhone on one of those kind of docks without that, but it would be kind of wobbly. This thing has a little deal on the back so that your iPhone's a bit more steady and whatnot. So I got to keep my speaker dock. And so it's at flybridge.co, flybridge, F-L-Y-B-R-I-D-G-E dot co, for anybody that's sort of facing this particular dilemma. Is that? So good stuff. Good stuff yesterday. That's really, you know, it was a great presentation, at least from my opinion. I agree. I think Tim Cook is really coming into his own now. I think he's starting to feel more comfortable in this particular role and you're really starting to see Tim Cook as Tim Cook and not Tim Cook filling in for yeah, Steve Jobs. Tr- yeah, trying to be Steve or filling in for Steve. And what I like about the presentations is the fact that he has the different people who are responsible for each of those areas to come up and, you know, like Phil Schiller and uh, what's his name? Greg. Uh, Eddie Q. Yeah, Eddie Q. Yeah. So it's great that he has those individuals come up and actually do the presentation and explain things. You know, he doesn't try to be the center of all. What's his name? Frederiki. Frederiki. Uh, yeah. Craig Frederiki. Yeah. Gosh, I like him a lot. Yeah. He's the Mac OS X. Yeah. Now, it seems like they've been using a lot of video in these presentations yes. lately. Is that? They have been. I love the concept of telling the Apple story. Like, as a marketing guy, I gobble that stuff up. And I really feel like, even as a consumer, I'm connecting with them at a much deeper level now. Right. It's very smart marketing. Yeah. I mean, for everything, they had a video. Yeah, they do that really well. Anything we're talking about interfacing with people, Apple does super, super well. I mean, they're fantastic at UI. And it's really, I think the marketing is a logical extension of that. So, I don't know, some guy named John Panarese did this review of the iPhone 5S. Who? Yeah, I hear he's just an opinionated pain in the butt from my understanding, so... But uh, you should look at it. He does a nice comparison. John, you did a nice review. Yeah, I didn't get too detailed. I just wanted to touch on, you know, what I felt to be the most important. No, there are plenty of super, super detailed reviews, and that's fine. I will note that the latest version of uh, iOS 7.0.3 that we mentioned earlier did not fix the volume issue that John mentions in his review on the 5S. So if you have that problem, do not put your volume back in your rotor. And John, you kind of say that space gray is boring. And I happen to think it's very classy, by the way. 
Well, I was thinking about the silver. I don't know why, but I just decided to go with the space gray. I like it. I think it's, it's classic. It's nice and conservative. I went with the space gray, too. I think gold is just, I don't nah, know, it just sounds like too, it, would be, too. It, was, it would be gaudy and... Yeah, that was my know, thought. And I, but I was going to no. get the silver just because I thought silver would be cool, you know? Silver would have been all right, but I'm a space gray kind of guy. Yeah, that's what I was like. Uh, I'm a space gray guy. It seems classy. I, I like it. All right, thank you. I agree with you completely. I got the 32 gig one, though. You gentlemen have fantastic taste. <laughs> I think. See, I was going to get the 32 gig, and I'm kicking myself that I didn't. I, I stuck with the 16. I almost went for the 32, and I was now I'm kicking myself. I almost went for the 64, but I didn't. Oh, by the way, um, because people were following this, probably, except maybe not, I did, in fact, get switched over to Verizon. Oh, you did? Woohoo! I did. I got on their uh, plan where you pay a little bit extra on your bill per month, and then at the end of 12 months, you can trade up. Oh, that. Because I'm, I forget what it's called. What I like to call both AT&T and Verizon, screw you less. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's it. Um, because I'm pretty sure I'll want the six when it comes out. Um, yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's a good How much point. extra is it? It's like, for the 32, it's like $30. Hmm. So here's how it works. You pay the full amount of the sales tax, whatever that is in your state, plus the activation fee, and then your first month payment, first month of 24. And then every month after that, you pay your monthly payment on top of your bill. Like I walked out the door with it, figuratively speaking, because I did it online for like, Actually, no, you don't pay your, your activation fee, I guess. But anyway, I walked out the door with it, figuratively speaking, for $70. Right. And right. Uh, then, you know, $30 a month for the next 23 The disadvantage to this plan is that you can't make extra payments. Like, you, you have to either make 24 payments, or eventually, if you want to pay extra, you just have to pay it all. So that's the one disadvantage that I saw to this plan. But, of course, the advantage is that, again, after six months, if you own it outright, you can upgrade phones. And so after a year, you can get the new one and sort of just move right into it. What else we got here? Apple's got tips and tricks guides, so we'll have a link to that. Yeah, that's interesting stuff. I'd highly recommend that folks read some of that stuff. It's a lot easier to take than reading a whole manual for people who don't read manuals. Right. It gets to the best, most useful things. And maybe you'll find out about using the fingerprint sensor. We've been talking a lot about that. We've been talking a lot about Touch ID, and this next article really goes into a lot of detail about that. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, okay, fingerprints can be hacked and so forth because fingerprints are everywhere, but it's ridiculously hard to do. Yeah, I mean, the average person is not going to have to worry about that. I mean, you know, it's like they were saying, it's basically NCIS type of stuff or whatever he refers to. You know, if you're going right. to lift a fingerprint to try to hack somebody's phone, I mean, you're really going the distance to do that is the point. Like the steps that you have to do, you have to lift the fingerprint and assuming you get a clear one, then you have to do this other stuff and you have to transfer it onto this stuff. You have to put it on this yeah. other thing. I mean, the to, average... It's, it's not something that people are going to do unless they're, like, really into spy stuff. And, right. You know, if someone's going to mug you for your phone, they're not going to be able to unlock it with your fingers. Exactly. Like chopping off Mid-time your fingers. Manhattan, right. If you're using the Touch ID, I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, I enjoy it, you know, with the 5S, and I make mention of it in my review that, you know, you still have to have a passcode 
but you could open up the phone, unlock the phone very easily. And, you know, it's a nice security because I, I went for a long time without a passcode and I always felt very uncomfortable with that. But I made that choice myself because I just felt the passcode could be very cumbersome to have to keep entering anytime I needed to, you know, open the phone up. So the Touch ID, I think, is the perfect solution. Well, especially since we lock our phones very often to save, right. help save battery. Right. It's interesting, this article talks about, and it's a point I mentioned earlier, about how you know the Touch ID has very little to do with a strong security measure. It's purely out of convenience. But some of the security right. benefits of having some security, like if somebody were to swipe a phone out of your pocket or if you were to lose it, I mean... Honestly, I think that's worth it in itself. I mean, yeah, sure, it's mostly convenience, but there are some nice uh, security features that do come with that. Right. But there's a review. Actually, it's I wouldn't necessarily call it a review so much as a gripe about uh, iOS 7 and its sort of step backwards for low vision users. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've heard two sides of this. I've heard some low vision people go off the deep end about this and really complain about the contrast and stuff. But I've had two people in the last couple of days that tell me that the key, if you're a low vision person who uses contrast, is to pick the last wallpaper selection and for the background of the wallpaper. It's the last one. And if you use contrast, that makes the icons pop out. And two people have told me this. Yeah, two people have told me this in the last couple of days who are low vision user clients of mine that have mentioned that. And I kind of see the point as far as the font that they used on the keyboard and that sort of thing. If it's very thin and hard to see, I get that. And I'm blind, so I'm not going to say that I'm speaking with any authority on this, but this is just what two low vision people have told me in the last couple of days. I think Justin might actually be the guy to comment on this with some authority since he used to not be blind. Well, what I find interesting is about this particular article is, you know, you go into the comment section and while the review, well, there's a review at the end where there is right now, the last comment that's available, it's a completely different experience. And to the degree that visual impairments vary, you know, I think your mileage is going to vary. I like the point about going ahead and looking at it before you update. And gosh, if you're low vision, right. there's oodles and oodles of you know resources that you could get a hold of and just go into an Apple store and give it a look. Good point. Oh yeah, that can't be overstated. If you have an Apple store that you can get to, that can't be overstated because Apple puts all of their stuff out for people to play with. If you wanted to, you could go to the Apple store and spend like the whole day there like playing with stuff and nobody would care. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I've done it. <laughs> done it with the iMac and, and some of the and, other toys in there. I've, I've been in there for like hours. Yeah. And that's the thing and is why, why not? not? And really, truly, they don't care. They want you to go in there and play with stuff because, you know, the more you play with it, presumably the more you'll like it and then you'll want to buy something. And it doesn't even have to be an Apple store. I mean, not all of us have them in our, I mean, no, I don't have I don't. One in my area. So, you know, a Best Buy or... Yeah, someplace that sells them. True, yeah. but... Right. I mean, but I think they're, of they're those everywhere. kind of places, if you have an Apple store, they're certainly the most laid back about it. Absolutely. Some places might be kind of like, well, okay, uh, move along, you know, kind of thing. Coming up after the break, Jamie and Alina talk tech, more iOS, Mavericks, and Apple stuff, your comments, and more on Triple Click Home, episode number 23. Looking for a cross-platform solution to quickly convert printed materials and PDFs into text, MP3, or DAISY formats? 
check out Serotech's DocuScan Plus. For just $299, use DocuScan Plus on your Windows or Mac computer. Store documents in the cloud for easy retrieval and access them from anywhere. For more information, visit www.docuscanplus.com. Well, even though she can't join us on the podcast because she's out and about, we have Ms. Alina Roberts with us today. So, Alina, it sounds funny to say this, but welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thanks, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) So, I know that you've had a chance to play with iOS 7, and so have I. As we record this, uh, iOS 7.0.3 has been released, and neither one of us have had a chance to download it. I suspect only the really intrepid adventurer is willing to try to do that right now. But uh, some voiceover fixes, some sensor fixes, which I think is an interesting statement. I guess I'll talk about my chief complaint at the moment about iOS 7 on my 4S, and then Alina, I'll let you sound off. Mine is that right now, pretty much 100% of the time when I take a call, the call is routed to the speaker and not my earpiece. Curious if you've seen that one. And that happens to me now every time as well. Okay. And are you using a 4S or a 5? I have the new 5S. Oh, oh, you've got a 5S and it's still doing that. that. Ooh, that's ugly. Okay. Wow. So uh, there's no way to do this in any really nice orderly fashion. So what do you think about the 5S? Are you liking it? I am very happy with the 5S. Now, I jumped from the 4S to the 5S. So the first thing that I noticed was the speed difference. Okay. And it is significant, Jamie. So if you're thinking about it, I would honestly make the jump. The fingerprint scanner is the coolest thing ever because I hit the home button and then in like half a second, I'm on my homepage. Right. And that's pretty nifty. I don't have to find the unlock button anymore. And it's taking that one step that I didn't really want to have anymore out Mm -hmm. of the picture. And from the perspective as a teacher of the iPhone, I think those who actually end up getting the 5S with the fingerprint scanner will find that getting to the unlock button for new voiceover users seems really tricky. Mm -hmm. At least that's my experience with a lot of the people. And so there are many lessons that we spend where the phone has locked because we've had a conversation about something that we're learning. Right. And then the next thing that I hear out of the person is, well, what do I do now? (laughs) <laughs> well, what do we have to do first when we're dealing with the iPhone? You have to unlock the screen, mm-hmm. you know, so that can be a really big challenge for a lot of people. So I really like the just from an accessibility standpoint of not having to deal with the unlock button. And I also really like that it's keeping my phone much more protected. I never used a passcode because right. I didn't want to put up with it. <laughs> Same here. It's very inconvenient as a voiceover user. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm happy that I have that security benefit. Now, one of the things that I have to get your perspective on this, Jamie, is okay. another thing that I'm really frustrated with voiceover changing is sometimes I tap on the screen and it moves my cursor where I don't want it to. Yes. And I don't know if that's a sensitivity thing, or sometimes I think I've done a double tap on a particular part of the screen or an app, and then it opens up a different one, and I'm like, uh... Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen when you swipe to uh, change pages, where it will change two pages. Yes. Yeah. 
Something that you tweeted about early on, and I'm curious if you're still seeing it because it's really annoying me. Siri is brain dead when you first ask it a question. You get the yep. I can't take requests. And request. it's still brain dead oh, on the 5S. Wow, that is. I was really, really, really hoping that that was going to change. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, perhaps as we record this, uh, maybe all these things will be a moot point because the latest <laughs> update will have fixed everything magically. I'm not quite so. And dictation but... can be bad too. Like yes. there are times when I'll dictate something and I'll wait 30 seconds and mm-hmm. nothing's happened, and then I just decide to redo it because. Yep. I, you know, I'm using dictation for speed, guys. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could type faster than that. And that's not saying much. <laughs> oh, and typing is another thing. Now, I didn't have this problem on the 4S. And I don't know if that's because of the speed of the processor. Mm-hmm. But one thing I am, I am noticing on my 5S, so I'll be curious to see if our listeners have this problem as well, is that it's so sensitive that if I wiggle my finger just mm-hmm. wrong when I'm lifting, it actually types the letter next to it instead yeah. of the one I was on. Something I've seen also is, especially if I'm looking for punctuation on a screen that I'm not uh-huh. as familiar with and you wait long enough, it pulls up the alternative characters list. Oh, yes. And that was supposed to be a yeah, new feature. Yeah, and that's supposed to be a feature, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't like that. That's not good. So, gosh. But overall, iOS 7 to me has some really great improvements. Having access to multiple high-quality voices has been really great. Hmm? When Siri works, she's pretty awesome. Right. <laughs> the other right. day, I asked her to tell me what movies were playing at a particular theater. Because I didn't know if she could do that, but she can. Wow. And so that was really nifty. You know, I said, what is playing at? And then I named the theater we were hoping to go to. That's cool. I also do like the new voices. I've chosen to stick with the female. I would be curious to hear if we got anybody who switched to the guy. Right. He's, he's okay, but I don't know. It's yeah. just not working for me. Yeah. I also have just stayed with the female voice. Uh-huh. I mean, we've kind of talked app switcher to death, I think, but that is cool. That really is nice. Oh, App Switcher is a significant improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to use your action of just deleting iTunes Radio. I sadly have both. I have a love-hate relationship with iTunes Radio right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm curious. Go ahead. <laughs> That's because I am not an iTunes Match member. Right. The commercials are really not actually that bothersome to me because I've listened to Pandora for years. Sure. And they're short. My yeah. problem is that... Usually after at least skip number four, it will then replay the song I just skipped or the oh, wow. one before it. Huh. And I'm like, uh, yeah. I just told you to skip that. Why? <laughs> <laughs> or it's something I didn't skip and it's replaying it. And I'm like, I just heard that like two minutes ago. I really don't need to hear it again. Or the other day, I swear, it played the same song four times in a row. Oh, no. That's not good. Which burned up all of my skipping. And then I was frustrated because I had to switch channels. Yeah. So I don't actually know what that bug is all about, but I'm really hoping if any of our, (laughs) if any Apple people are actually listening to this podcast, please know that we're very frustrated. I was kind of freaked out the first time I tried to add a new state. Well, that I did add a new station and I got the, uh, where it's preview songs for you. Almost like you're uh-huh. scanning radio stations on a, in a car. That was kind of weird because yeah. I didn't know it was going to do that. And I'm like, why is it doing that? And how do I make it quit? And then I figured it out and it was okay. But 
Well, I think Lisa Salinger the other day sent out a tweet that said that, you know, she had something ridiculous, like 70s pop on her Baroque station. Oh, no. (laughs) I I missed that one. I'll have to talk to her about that later. (laughs) And then something else weird on her piano station. So, you know, Earth's (laughs) iTunes, like, we're okay with you giving us different music. Yeah. Yeah. If we've picked a genre, could you stick with that? Because yes, that's please. really what we were going for. When I'm in the Baroque mood, I'm not ready to switch over to 70s pop. Not quite then. That'd be There's weird. not even a connection there. No. And I can not... just picture it. You know, she's probably doing something very relaxing. She's using the music as a calming tool. And then suddenly, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, right. So. As far as that goes, I also, as a 5S user, do have access to the new iWork suite. Um, I, however, have not actually gone and downloaded them. Maybe you can talk with our lovely gentleman when we record the full podcast Mm -hmm. about any accessibility changes because, you know, I'm hesitant to even go with Pages. I'm not really happy with Pages on my Mac. I'm not sure I would be happy with it on my iPhone. Right. (laughs) I want text edit. On my iPhone. That's really what I Oh, that'd I be all right. Yeah, that'd be good, actually. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think has improved, I because my 4S was pretty sluggish. So uh-huh. either it was either the latest update that sped me up, or, and this is another theory I have, I'm wondering if the operating system learned my habits and is bringing apps to the foreground more and keeping some back. And so maybe that is part of why I'm seeing some improvements in speed on my older device. It's very possible. You know, that's one of the things they talked about in Mavericks, that that's supposed to actually happen, is that if you're not actually utilizing an app, but it's still Mm. open, that it should just go to sleep and really not take up any of your battery life or any of your space as much as possible because you're not using it. I don't know that either one of us have really had time to digest the news today from Apple. Certainly free is good, as in Mavericks is. Ah, free is a beautiful number. (laughs) Yeah, I like that a lot. And I will be doing, and this is a a message to anybody who is updating their operating system, the very first thing you need to do before you update is to back up everything. Yeah. Because the reality is that Nothing should go wrong, right? but anything can go wrong. So don't mess up yourself and don't mess with technology, essentially. Yeah. I remember there was a point at which I did a, a major update on my Mac years ago, and it froze in the middle of the update, and we had to reinstall the entire system wow. from scratch. Yeah. And that was really scary. Now, I had done a backup. Uh-huh. So I didn't lose a whole bunch of stuff. Right. But I know too many people who don't say, oh, I'm just going to go download the new operating system. Yeah, what are you going to do before you do that? That's not even safe. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, those are some really good uh, tips. Definitely back up. And uh, probably it would be smart to hold off on updating unless you just really need to or want to kind of let the dust right. settle. Let people who maybe have done this many, many times Give us some tips and feedback and even let Apple work out a few bugs. And if you're happy with Mountain Lion and there's nothing in the new update that's really compelling, then yeah, hold off because there are bugs. Inevitably, there are bugs that they still need to hammer out. Right. I did see a Lifehacker article while I was reading about today's program where they released some new stuff that... The impression from everybody is that it slows everything down. Yeah. Now, they don't know why, 
but that's really like a feature we don't want, right? Yeah, we want everything right. to go faster. Yeah. Certainly don't want it to go slower. And as many voiceover users can tell you about, the word busy <laughs> is probably one of our least favorite things to hear. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> and it happens a lot more than we would like it to. Now, one interesting thing that I always think about from the perspective of knowing what's happening on my computer is that although I hate Alex telling me busy mm. a lot of times, if he doesn't tell me anything, then I actually don't know that that something's happening. Right. So I think from a perspective of making sure that the user actually knows what's going on, that lovely word busy is Apple's way of making sure that you don't worry that your computer has frozen. Or yeah. that it's like Siri now with the, it doesn't tick at us anymore, no. which I don't miss at all. But now you just wait there. Right, right. And sometimes 45 seconds later, she says, I'm really sorry, but I can't take any requests right now. <laughs> yeah. And you say, ah, okay. Just suppress the urge to throw your phone. Yeah. Which would not be a good <sighs> thing in the long run. Uh, what were you excited about from the announcement, if anything? You know, I think the fact that a lot of software is being released, that it's being made available free so people can try it out and really have access to it. I'm sort of just waiting to see, not to, you know, voiceover obviously works quite well now, but I am anxious to see what, if any, improvements, and I'm sure there will be some that Apple has made and I'm speaking, of course, now for Mavericks. As far as uh, iOS 7, I think it's a good operating system. I think Apple has needed to move forward. Of course, the conventional wisdom is that in a couple years or so, we will probably see more unification of uh, the desktop and the iOS operating systems. Right. And one of the features of Mavericks is cross-platform compatibility. Yeah. So if you start a document and pages on your iPad, you can then switch over to your Mac and they will automatically be synced with one another. And I think that's pretty nifty. I think I really am looking forward to Keychain. I hope it works really well. I, I tend to be a oh, bit lazy too. in passwords. I, I mean, I do fairly well, but I could do a lot better. I know. So Passwords for me are only challenging when I go to a website that I only go to a couple times a year yeah, or maybe once a month. And then I sit there and I go, well, I only have like four or five uh -huh. passwords. Yeah. And then I try all of them and then they end up being wrong anyway. Yeah. You got real creative <laughs> or, one day and you decided to do something yeah. different. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And all of the websites have different requirements. So oftentimes I'll come up with a password and then the next time I go to a web page that I need to sign up for or create a login, they've got a whole another set of rules yep. and then I'm stuck, yeah, right? Oh, right. okay. Well, can't reuse the one that I already have in my brain. Yeah. But keychain should be really nifty. My husband is somebody who's been waiting for the iPad mini to come out with a retina display. Mm -hmm. And so he was pretty stoked to see that it's finally available. He wasn't happy that it costs $100 more. Yeah. But I'll tell you that, again, from an accessibility standpoint of working with young kids, if the iPad mini becomes an option in the education realm, for my kids that are totally blind or have extremely low vision and are not reading print, the iPad mini to me is going to be a better option for them. Mm -hmm. I found that the times that I've interacted with a standard size iPad, that the screen is just so large 
that it seems ridiculous that I'm doing these little tiny gestures mm. on this giant screen. Right. So, yeah. From a non-visual standpoint, a nine-inch screen is just unnecessary. Yeah. Well, probably by the time we reconvene in November, we will have had a chance to actually play with some of this stuff and maybe even have more thoughts and have some better ideas as to how things are shaking out. But it's good to know that you got the 5S, and I'm glad that you like it, and glad that iOS 7 is working out for you on that as well. Oh, yeah. I'm very pleased with my decision. Both my husband and I sold our iPhones to Gazelle, and we are paying almost nothing for our new phones. Very good. Can't really beat that. (laughs) Yeah, I suspect that when I upgrade, I will probably be giving Gazelle a visit as well. That looks like a really cool service. When are you eligible for your upgrade, sir? I'm actually eligible in December, so that's when I can really think seriously about it, actually. Uh Uh-huh. Well, okay, okay, good deal. Well, we will see you next month, and uh, thanks for stopping by and giving us your thoughts. Thank you, Jamie and Alina, and we'll be looking forward to having you back in the podcast full-time next month. So, John, I know people are really, really curious about what's new with Mavericks. Just came out. I've been playing with it some, and I I know you have from a training standpoint, you've been playing with it. And um, what should people expect? If you're looking for a significant voiceover improvements or earth-shattering feature additions, it's not there. I mean, there's really nothing too significant. Except for the audio ducking. Yeah, the audio ducking is definitely one thing that's really good, which is probably long overdue, most people feel. Yeah. Well, it'll probably throw people at first. In fact, I think it has thrown some people. Yes, yeah, they've thought there's been something wrong with their computers and so forth, but that's not your imagination. They do have the audio ducking now. Obviously, we talked earlier about pages and numbers accessibility. I don't know if that affects Mountain Lion. I haven't tried it yet, but definitely. I was told by somebody that the updates only work well with Mavericks. I'm not going to confirm that as of yet because I haven't tried it, but that's what I was told. But one thing I do want to say, and I I feel sort of sad that I have to do this, because normally I, I don't usually dissuade early adopters with new operating systems, but I have to say that with 10.9, unless you are a very experienced Mac user who can live with dealing with certain bugs, knows that they can work around them, and it doesn't really fluster them, you might be better off waiting for 10.9.1. There are more than the average number of bugs in this first release of Mavericks in the accessibility area of the uh, operating system. Mail, calendar, just to name a few places. Now, the pros is that they have iBooks available now on the Mac. You have the Maps application. Oh, don't even talk to me about iBooks. Ah, Well, there are accessibility problems in iBooks uh, if you look at face value. But here's a little tip I want to give folks. If you use Control-Option-Shift-H on the unlabeled controls, 90% of them are identified. And then you can do Control-Option-Slash and label them yourself. And that will make the experience for using iBooks uh, a little bit better. I'm not trying to cover. I'm not trying to make excuses. I find it a little disappointing that Apple released this product without the accessibility that we've come to expect. But I think... Especially when it's simple things like button labels. Right, right. I was very disappointed by that, too. 
The other thing about iBooks that will throw you is when you're looking at your book list, by default, it's a grid and it just shows book covers. You have to switch it to list. And there are several, it's like you can show whatever the default is or author or collection or whatever, whatever, whatever. None of those work. You have to select list. Right. So, you know, that's definitely disappointing. And I think that the emphasis seemed to have gone into the iWorks updates as far as accessibility goes. And obviously the Safari bug that some people were experiencing, uh, a couple of the Safari bugs have gone away. One of those being that some tables in Safari weren't reading properly. Right. And uh, now tables read beautifully. Right. So, you know, again, you kind of have to take the good with the bad and make your own educated decision. But from my perspective as a trainer and working with people, unless you have very good reason, you might want to wait for 10.9.1. I would agree with that. And actually, I think that's pretty good across the board advice, really, for operating systems in general. But right. uh, in this case, yeah, I think more so with this Mac OS upgrade versus previous ones. I think the most significant change like that where we were like saying, you know, we should wait for things to shake out would have been between Snow Leopard to Lion. Right. I was looking as you two were talking and it appears that the iWork updates are only for Mavericks. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought I was told, but I didn't want to go on the record to say that for sure. I just double-checked, and yeah, that's the case. You cannot update to, uh, I guess they're labeled as 5.0. Right, 5.0 and I forget, 3.0 for numbers or something like that. And 6.0 for Keynote. Yes. Go figure. But there's my little piece of advice to folks. My opinion agrees with your opinion. I agree as well. Have you been playing with uh, Mavericks at all, Justin? I have. You know, I followed the developer releases and i mean it has improved accessibility Mm -hmm. considerably but honestly i find a lot of the most frustrating bugs are in safari yeah safari mail and calendar because i use the calendar extensively and there's a couple of really annoying things that you have to do extra steps to create events and edit events just the layout of creating a new event is really a pain i haven't really had any problems with mail but then again i think i'm so relieved (laughs) that mail (laughs) works kind of more properly now versus like the previous beta where it was very, very broken. (laughs) Well, are you using classic view or are you using the standard view? No, no, I'm I'm using standard. Uh, The thing I don't like about it is that the conversation thread is not announced. Is it the end? Is at the end instead of the beginning. It's at the end. Yeah, it's at the end now. It used you to be just, in the beginning. You have to listen to a whole bunch of stuff before <laughs> yeah, you hear, to hear it. it. I wish they had kept it at the beginning as well. But again, you know, that's a preference thing. You know, if the columns are rearrangeable... Sure I wish they were. Like I've that. tried, unless somebody knows of a way. But I've tried everything I could to move that column yeah, over I, to the front. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't either. But So um, be careful with those upgrades, especially if you're new to the Mac. Uh, you might want to stay back. Yeah, little, just stay with Mountain longer. Lion or whatever you're using comfortably for, until at least you know 10.9.1 comes out. And you know, let me be clear too. I'm sure that these bugs are going to be addressed by Apple accessibility. I have no doubt that we will see a lot of this stuff get squashed as time goes on. But I'm just saying for this moment, the recording of this podcast, I would just stay away from 10.9 unless, like I said, you have a very good reason. You really want to use the iWork suite or you really want to you try to use iBooks, etc. But otherwise, I would wait. Good advice. 
Earlier in the podcast, I had alluded to Apple's positioning in the marketplace as a luxury brand, as a high-end brand, and not necessarily as a mass consumer sort of thing, uh, race to the bottom and so forth. And uh, here's an article about the upcoming, uh, I believe she'll start next year, uh, head of Apple Retail. That would be the person that heads up the operation of the Apple Retail stores, uh, Angela Arendt, who was, I don't know, she's been in the fashion industry for a very long time uh, with several super high-end luxury brands, and now she's going to be starting to work with Apple. She supposedly comes with very good credentials, from my understanding, at least what I've read. It's different from the last guy, or was it the last guy, the one prior to him, who everybody was kind of scratching their head and going, how? That was the last guy. It was the guy, but he came from like Tesco or something, Something, didn't he? Something Mm -hmm. where people, he didn't really have a lot of success in the past, and people were like, why is Apple hiring this guy to do their retail stores? Where this woman, Angela, supposedly, from what I've read, has some pretty impressive credentials. Yeah, I've read the same. And uh, again, this really solidifies what I've been saying for the past while, that Apple doesn't compete on price, and they're not really looking for huge market share or, or anything like that, that Wall Street financial pundits want them to be. Yeah, everybody wants them to be like that, right. They are not that. They never have been like and that. They never and, will be. It's all about the and, name. It's the name recognition and the brand. And I think that hiring Angela Ahrens has really solidified that position. I think that it's really made that statement as well as anything possibly could. Justin, you being the marketing guy, what's your take? I like it. I like the background that she comes into the game with. I think this is an exciting move. I agree. I mean, just her background, it really speaks a lot more to me than the last guy. Coming up after the break, your letters. Martha Stewart goes off. Lots of other stuff. Good stuff on the other side. I'm Marie Osmond. Choices. Some are minor, others life-changing. But what if your small choices matter the most, like the stairs or the elevator, baked or fried? What if these small choices determine if you'll be the one out of every three women who die of heart disease this year? These choices might not seem life-changing today, but women are dying of heart disease at the rate of almost one per minute. Luckily, it's mostly preventable. Choose to act. Our hearts, our choice. Make your choice at GoRedForWomen.org. Hi, Triple Click Home Podcast. This is Lewis from California. I can't wait to hear your guys' thoughts on the iPhone 5S and the 5C and that whole uh, Apple event. And uh, my question for everyone is, uh, have you guys used Windows on a Mac before, either with Boot Camp or with VMware Fusion? I'm considering getting a copy of Windows 7 and running it at Boot Camp on my Mac, but I've heard that uh, sometimes it doesn't run so well and uh, it's better to run on a native Windows laptop. So hopefully you guys can weigh in on that and I'll be able to make a more informed decision. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. So thanks for calling in, Lewis. And, um, well, the first thing I would uh, say is, geez, who are you hearing this from? Exactly. When Max, who are you hearing uh, this from? Windows because runs better on Macs. <laughs> my Mac is the best Windows machine I have. Right. Yeah, well, some of the best Windows machines and ratings of these things have been Macs. In fact, 
a MacBook Pro was listed as the number one Windows machine by some magazine, I forget. So absolutely not. You can run Windows on the Mac just fine. In fact, you can do your install independently using VMware Fusion and uh, run it in a virtual machine alongside of your Mac stuff. And that works pretty well. If you really want a dedicated dual boot, yeah, you'd use Boot Camp. Bear in mind, however, that uh, you would need uh, working eyeballs to do so, I believe. There was a big, long thread on one of the email lists about this, and I think the conclusion was, in fact, that, yes, you need working eyeballs to complete the Windows setup with Boot Camp. Is this not correct, John? Yeah, I believe so. I believe you do need... Yeah, I, I just recently did it myself. I was actually going to ask, do either of you have a preference? Fusion, if only because I haven't... I, I just can't be bothered to yeah, install Windows exactly. and boot I don't camp partition. Put, yeah, I don't want to partition. I don't want to lose space just to put Windows on there. It just disgusts me for the thought. I don't want to lose space, and besides that, I don't have ready access to working eyeballs, and so um, it's not really worth it to me to hunt somebody up and schedule time to have somebody come over and help me with that when I can just set up a VM. The fusion. So you guys use default settings of RAM and how much, um, you know, how much hard drive space to use, no. or do you set that manually? No, no you can set it. No, manual. I set it manually. The default settings are ridiculous. What would you recommend? You want to set it up that so that it's something like what a real machine would be. In other words, you wouldn't install Windows Seven on a machine with 512 meg of RAM, so it's not really realistic to expect that to right. work really well in a virtual. And that's what the default is, I think. Fusion is so, so convenient, though. I mean, it really, really is very convenient. And I should uh, stress, Lewis, that if you're going to do this and you want to use a virtual environment like this, get Fusion. I don't care if they give you parallels for free. There's a reason they give you parallels for free. It's not accessible at all. Don't even bother with it. Run, don't walk, and uh, go get VMware Fusion. VMware Fusion is not free, but it's not expensive. And they often have it on sale. You can get it really cheaper through a lot of these bundles. You see a lot of these Mac OS X application bundles out there at times, and I've seen Fusion as cheap as $49 already. So, And it's ready to rock and roll with Mavericks. Right. Yep. And also, I believe, Windows 8.1. Yes. Yes. So there's no losing with that, really. If your Mac has 8 gig of RAM, that's even better. I mean, more RAM is always better, but I've run VMs in 4, and uh, it's fine. Yeah, you'll probably see a performance hit on both sides of that, but I guess depending on what your aim is here, if you're going to run Windows full-time on your Mac, maybe you'd better use Boot Camp. Me, when I'm, in, when I'm on my yeah, Mac, I want to run a specific Mac reason. <laughs> I want to run it as a Mac, and I, I have specific Windows things that I need to do. And in those circumstances, a VM works fine for me. I've gone the boot camp route, and it really was a hassle switching between the two. Because it's quick, but it's not super quick. It's not like, oh, shoot, I need something over on the Mac side. Let me just go flip over and do that. Changing your startup disk and rebooting, not a big deal. But you know, consider what your needs are here and act accordingly. And then again, be careful who you listen to. Exactly. So thanks for writing in, Lewis. You too can uh, write in just like Lewis did or call in and leave an iReport. You can leave an iReport for Triple Click Home on the iBlink Radio app for iOS or, or Android. Android. Of course, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for Android as well. And of course, you can uh, go to that androidshow.com. 
and uh, we, leave we can one send one. a triple hacoma. Listen to that. You can do this, and um, you can leave a comment on the blog. You can email us at resources at serotalk.com. And, oh, hey, the blab line is back. You can call us on that, too, 866-997-BLAB. You can call and leave a message for us there. Blab. I like that word. I do, too. It's a great word. Have a good show, guys. See you later. It looks like Apple maybe isn't quite over all of its mapping woes, wouldn't you say? I don't think they're going to be for a while. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Although this points up what I've also been, again, saying for a long, long time now. Technology is wonderful as long as you understand its role and its function and its limitations, which is to say... Do not, under any circumstances, follow your GPS without also following environmental cues like airport signs. Yeah. Yeah, that would help, wouldn't it? It would, especially when you're at the um, airport in Fairbanks, Alaska. So apparently there's a mapping issue there at the Fairbanks, Alaska airport where it's telling people to drive across the runway. Not a good idea. people are doing that, which... I just don't understand. But, you know, in in fairness, though, I've noticed improvements to the Maps app, at least in my travels. And I've been to Florida, the Orlando, that whole area, the east coast of Florida. I've been through Rhode Island, Massachusetts, upstate New York and Buffalo. And the Maps app has really been very, very good as far as getting us to where we need to go. Yeah, so there you go. Just be careful out there and use the technology in the manner in which it was intended. Yeah, that's always. Use it wisely. And not to the exclusion of environmental cues like airport signs. Okay. And um, also watch out for angry celebrity, um, what you call her? I'm, I, well, there are lots of things I can think of to call her, but none of them are very nice. Martha Stewart apparently didn't make the Apple marketing people very happy. And this would be kind of don't lick a gift horse in the mouth kind of thing along with what? So Martha Stewart dropped her iPad out of a moving car or something. Yeah, something like that. And it broke and she was upset. You dropped it out of a moving car. What were you expecting to happen? Yeah. People, I don't know if they just think who they are, you know. Well, her for sure. Yeah. You know, user stupidity is not covered in a warranty. I love how when these angry slew of tweets go out, how it's always, oh, it was just a joke. It was just a joke. She was just being funny. Yeah. And remember, this iPad was a gift from Steve Jobs, too, so... I mean, I guess I get I think her Steve frustration. Jobs should be more careful who he gives gifts to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because she couldn't afford an iPad of her own. So no, like Steve no, Jobs she couldn't have gone out one, to right? buy twenty-six of them, have one for each room of her house, her mansion. I'm sure that would have been stretching things. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that prison stint really drained her. Oh wait, no, wait. Actually, the prison stint didn't seem to hurt her at all. No, I think it helped her. Probably. Then she says that Apple should create a same-day delivery service for repaired products or replacement products. Okay. And I'm just thinking, really? Like, seriously? It's called go to the store and and pick pick one one up. up. You got the money. (laughs) Go walk into a store and buy one. Yeah, seriously. She has, I mean, she has the money. She could go out and buy one and uh, back it up off of iCloud and she's good to go. 
I don't know, some of these celebrities just kind of don't seem to know what it's like for the rest of us. Right. How the other, I wouldn't even say other half, like it's more like other 98% live. I would like to know what Apple's PR folks said to her, though. I'm sure that would be <laughs> I would uh, too. funny. I would too. Yeah, you you got to wonder. You got to wonder if they appeased her or if they really just told her, get a grip. You know, I'd be really curious to know. I know what I would tell her, but that's me. I got your same day delivery service right here. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even bat an eye when I read this. It didn't impact my, you know, impression on Apple. I can't imagine a PR department being so terribly, you know, worried about that. But gosh, it, right. it was it really was a silly deal. Yeah. Well, it didn't really change my opinion of Apple nor of Martha Stewart. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Although I gotta say, one thing I did have changed my opinion on is the woman behind the voice of Siri. Actually, this has really been kind of interesting, This the, all this coming out about Susan, whose name is not Samantha at all. Yeah. Such a letdown. It kind of is. Well, you know, it's even more interesting. I went to her website and listened to a bunch of her demo Yeah, voice clips. I did too. She's really good. <laughs> she is really good, and she doesn't sound nearly as grumpy as Samantha does. No, no, she doesn't. In fact, it, um, it was a bad day, to, guys. I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, a bad couple at it, but I, I don't know. I've only kind of heard Samantha esque tones in her voice on a couple of things. Yeah, a couple of the public service things or introduction things she does, you could kind of hear the Samantha in it. But a lot of it, I couldn't no. hear that at all. How many hours did she say that the process involved? I mean, that kind of blew my mind, honestly. A couple of days. Right. But you know what really struck me about it? And voice actors are, I don't know, but she sounded a lot younger than she clearly is, judging by, you know, biography and all that. I thought she sounded a lot younger than yes. she is. I do find it interesting, like, as prominently as, as Siri has been featured over the last couple of years, that she's just now hearing about it. Like, that does surprise me a little bit. Yeah, you would have thought that that well, would have come out at some point in the past, but I, I don't know. Maybe because they changed the Siri voices, maybe now it's it's okay. I maybe. Don't know. Well, maybe, but it's funny that they're calling it Siri because it's, clearly it's not. It's nuance, you know, nuanced text-to-speech, and she's been in all kinds of things, well, since at least 2005, uh, or 2006 anyway, because I guess she did the recordings in 2005, but... I don't know, maybe she's just so surrounded by doing the voiceovers and everything and so used to hearing herself in all these different contexts that it may be just, I don't know. And I can understand why she would you know, value her privacy in that respect just because Samantha doesn't really sound like her. I guess maybe it would if you like knew her really well and could hear more of that. But again, in most of her clips that I've heard of her, I don't hear Samantha. Right. That's the thing that surprised me is, like I said, other than a couple of her like news introductions and stuff, I could kind of hear it a little bit, but most of the other stuff, I, I really would not have known it was her. Right. You don't hear that like smoker Samantha thing going on right. a lot. I'm still waiting for the E! Uh, True Hollywood story on the male Siri voice. <laughs> the E! <laughs> I, th I still say that the male Siri voice sounds like Steve Jobs. <laughs> it does to an extent, yes. Yes, it does. A bit, yeah. Is that on purpose? I wonder. I wonder. Good point. Yeah. Well, wow. Who, 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 Never thought about that. Find out more about that. 
But I think it does. I think it really, the male one does sound a bit like Steve Jobs. I have never really thought about that, but I am totally going to go analyze that in a minute. We'll be interested to see what the results of your analysis are. (sighs) But speaking of Steve Jobs, they found the Steve Jobs time capsule, which is a bit of a misnomer because the only Steve Jobsian sort of thing in there was the Lisa Mouse. Right. Which he just kind of threw in because he said, we'd like for you to throw something in. So he pulled his mouse and he said, here, have this. <laughs> you know, He didn't contribute the six-pack of beer. The Ballantine beers, that's classy. Yeah. <laughs> that's classy. Yeah. That's, that's so perfect. Because the guys are going to be sweaty when they're unearthing it. I thought that that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're going to want a cold one, but it's not right. going to be that cold. And, uh, of course, no one expected that they would forget where they buried the thing. Well, we sort of don't really remember exactly where it is because we sort of changed the landscaping a bit. Could we blame that on Apple Maps? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. Good point. What else did they say was in there? Name tags and the six-pack of beer. Oh, it was like a a Moody Blues record. Didn't they say? Some, yeah. And uh, all kinds of interesting things from 30 years ago. So... They finally found that, and hopefully we'll be able to see what kind of stuff they pulled out of that. What did they say? It was a 13-foot-long by a foot and a half in diameter tube. Wasn't that right? I don't remember, to be honest with you. But anyway, so we'll get to see what all that what all was in there here after a while and what survived all the uh, weather and, and uh, the worms crawl in and the worms crawl out and all that sort of thing while it was buried underground. But maybe, I don't know, maybe this episode of Triple Click Home will go into someone's time capsule because that's it for this episode. 23. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in and uh, hope to see you all again next month. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow the show on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash tripleclickhome. Uh, you can, of course, look at our homepage at tripleclickhome.com. Leave us a comment there. Leave us an iReport on uh, iBlink Radio. Or uh, call the blab line and uh, leave us a comment there. I'm Buddy Brannon, and uh, I am now only about 88% wrong. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash bbrannon. And you can follow me, John Panarese, on Twitter at uh, MacfortheBlind or go to www.macfortheblind.com. And uh, thanks, gents, for having me this month and i'm justin romack you can follow me at justin romack r-o-m-a-c-k on twitter or head over to justinromack.com forward slash social and there's a ton of places you can connect with me there there you go and we were sure happy to have you this time we appreciate you coming coming aboard aboard and we hope to have you on again uh, someday we'd sure like to do that that'd be a blast guys you guys are great thanks so much thank you It it was fun coming up after the show don't touch that dial wait Dial? Does anything have dials anymore? I don't think so. Anyway, don't touch the thing which might simulate a dial, because after the closing credits and things, Alina Roberts interviews the fine folks that bring us Zombies Run. So you'll get accessible exercise and play games and hear all of the interesting things that those guys are doing and they're doing some neat stuff there uh, their zombies runs doing some neat stuff so stay tuned for that and again this podcast wouldn't be this podcast without y'all so thank you for uh, being there thank you for listening 
keep those cards and letters coming and we'll see you again next month bye bye hello everyone this month on our triple click home podcast i am joined by mr alex mcmillan of six to start he is the lead developer for that company and if that name six to start doesn't mean anything to you it should because they are the makers of zombies run Welcome, Alex. Hello. The reason why we have decided to interview you guys is not only because the app is fantastic, in my opinion, but also Thank because <laughs> we've seen a number of updates over the time that Zombies Run has been out that acknowledges that you guys are aware of voiceover users. Indeed. And you've actually made changes to the app so that we have full access to it. So thank you very much. We're really grateful to any developer who wants to make things accessible to us. No problem. It was a pleasure to do. Yeah, it's uh, something we became aware of when the first version of the game was out and it was rising in popularity. And we decided that uh, with version two of the game, one of the changes that we wanted to make was to introduce full accessibility. And uh, yeah, I mean, it turned out to be very rewarding for us. Yeah, and I uh, similarly would say that it's been very rewarding for me because <laughs> there was a point in version one where I couldn't get past a certain mission because I couldn't place any of my stuff. Yes, absolutely. So. <laughs> That's when we first became aware of it. So uh, yes, we were uh, real novices. Like This was uh, Six to Start's first mobile phone game, uh, so there was a lot of stuff that we were learning uh -huh. for the first time, and uh, accessibility sure. was, was absolutely one of those things. So uh, it was only in correspondence with fans of the game that we came to discover that this was an issue. And uh, it proved an interesting journey. Good. And for those of you who are not familiar with Zombies Run, you should go buy it now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's your plug. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's a fantastic game where you are being kind of guided on your walks or runs, depending on what kind of transportation you decide to put yourself through. I know a lot of people who use it on their treadmill. <laughs> I myself tend to use it in my neighborhood just when I'm out on routes with my guide dog because we kind of have the same couple routes that we do and this adds a little bit of entertainment to those kind of mundane routes that we go on all the time. Excellent. And I really like that you have the option to turn off the zombie chases because <laughs> that would not be safe <laughs> nor possible for me. Yes, uh, one of the uh, first things that Adrian said, Adrian who runs the company and uh, who explained the idea to me for the first time, uh, he said, runners already know how they want to run. And this is true, he, he says, of, uh, of all yes. runners. So uh, we wanted to make a game that made the running experience more interesting and uh, that would help motivate people to go running. But we didn't want to build a game, even though a lot of people said we should have done this, we didn't want to build a game that told uh -huh. runners what to do, to turn left or to turn right or to go faster or go slower. And in fact, the zombie chases that you choose to switch off was a feature that we conceived of uh, later in the development cycle. It was only later that we thought uh, what would make this even cooler is if people had the option to introduce actual zombies chasing them. At first, it was just the story that we were planning to deliver. I like that. And it's interesting because I have those chases turned off. So I know that I can never have one kind of come up during the narration. However, there have definitely been episodes where 
you could just kind of feel your heart rate going up and thinking, <laughs> okay, well, there might be a zombie behind me. And I think that's the idea, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, if you do have chases turned on, then uh, at some uh, moments in the story where uh, it's clear that zombies are nearby, we'd connect that and that does lead immediately into a chase. And then it starts beeping at you and warning that the zombies are present and you have to run faster to escape the zombies. But uh, yeah, we, we wanted to be sure that there was the option of turning that off for people who already knew the pace they wanted to run at. Or if you're visually impaired and shouldn't be changing your direction quickly. That makes sense. That Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I can just see trying to explain to my guide dog that I need us to go left and that we need to go faster. <laughs> and I'm sure yeah. she would say, I'm very sorry, but there's a wall or... This is off the sidewalk. That's not possible. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, the app does warn you when you turn on zombie chases that if there is traffic, then the traffic is the higher priority. The zombies may sound very serious, but it's more important to avoid moving vehicles than to avoid zombies. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like those GPS warnings that you get from all the apps that say, <laughs> we are just providing you with turn-by-turn directions. <laughs> if you get a direction that does not seem safe, please ignore it. Yes, indeed. It's important for a number of reasons for us to be very clear that there are higher priorities than our game, yes. So why don't you tell me a little bit about the story development process? And is that, are, are you guys still making more episodes? I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so the game is a collaboration, in fact, between Six to Start and the author Naomi Alderman, who is a rising star in the literary world, for sure. She uh, has won prizes and uh, appears to be set to continue to do so. So we're extremely proud to have her. Great. Uh, so Adrian and Naomi sort of discovered the idea between them. And it was clear that uh, Adrian and his company Six to Start could do the development for the app. And Naomi would be able to supply the story, which is for certain one of the biggest reasons why the game is so popular is because the story is, I hope you agree, very compelling. It's not an excuse for people to use the app. It's the reason for people to use the app, to see what happens to the characters and to oh, find out what absolutely. happens next. That's it. It's Naomi who engineers the world and uh, develops the characters. So uh, Matt in the office, uh, he writes the radio characters uh, separately because uh, people want to do a lot of running. We need to make a lot of content. So Matt also uh, has, <laughs> has supplied some characters and some additional storylines. And indeed, yes, with season two, with the first season being incredibly successful, it was clear that we should make more missions. Now it's an even bigger effort. Uh -huh. So there are additional writers who work with us to write uh, side missions that accompany the game. So as it is, we have completed writing and recording season two, and we are releasing those missions on a weekly basis. At the moment, you get three new missions a week. And uh, oh, I probably great. can't say too much about future plans. But uh, yeah, I mean, it should be clear we're, sure. we're not done with the Zombies Run universe. There's more to come. Great. And <laughs> I um, don't use the game as often as I should. So I'm, a, I'm still a little behind. <laughs> so that's exciting. No problem. For me. There's plenty of content. <laughs> that's the best thing. The, uh, the scary thing is when people uh, are so into the game that they've run out of content and then they uh, badger us to hurry up with the releases <laughs> so they can go for another mission. I have a feeling you do get badgered. <laughs> <laughs> we do, but we love it like it's absolutely what motivates us in fact as much as we motivate people to run the runners motivate us to make more game yeah can you tell me a little bit about since you are the lead developer tell me about the process of making it fully accessible with voiceover because that's one thing i really like to hear from developers it seems like i get a different answer from everyone that i get to talk to uh yes at first i was oblivious with the original game the company was very small at that point uh, and i was the sole uh -huh. developer uh, now we have uh, six, seven developers in the office. I really should keep a okay. running count so I don't sound so uncertain. About <laughs> it. So 
Yes, the first version of the game, uh, I uh, competed myself at least 1.0. And I had to learn iPhone development as I went along. So uh, accessibility right, was, sure. was also something that was totally unknown to me. Uh, but then the game came out and our first few weeks of sales went very well. So we knew that this was something we were going to continue. Uh, so we kept adding new features. Uh, we came up with some new types of mission. We introduced supply missions so that uh, people could play the same uh -huh. mission over and over if they'd run out of story missions. And then race missions, sure. which work slightly differently because the story unfolds depending on the distance you've run. And as that process went on, uh, we received a great deal of feedback from people who were playing the game. And uh, one piece uh -huh. of feedback that, that uh, was a very clear pattern came from blind people and people with visual impairments saying that uh, they couldn't get past mission... Which mission is it? Is it mission nine? I believe it was four... Four? Gosh, that's so early. It's either four or five. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But the problem was, in order to proceed past that mission, you had to develop your base. And uh, the base right. builder we'd made with graphics and you dragged supplies you'd collected on your missions onto the buildings. That was impossible to do if you couldn't see what was on the screen. And indeed, with voiceover enabled, it was impossible even if you could see the screen. Oh, yes. I had some friends who had sight as assistants, so they would go find a, maybe a family member or a friend and, right. and actually say, could you please place all my stuff so sure. I can keep playing the game? <laughs> and that's what we were limited to saying to people who contacted us via our support channels. We were forced to say in reply, I'm, we're terribly, terribly sorry. It's going to have to be that you'll need someone else's help, which uh -huh. it was immediately clear to us was an embarrassing thing to have to tell someone that they couldn't do it on their own and they, they'd need someone else's help to do it. So it was very apparent to us that the game was essentially broken for these players. So with uh, all of our version one features delivered and already big plans for season two, it was very clear that we could do a much better job there and that season two should aim to be accessible to everybody who played it. Uh -huh. So that's what we went ahead and did. Did you find that the tools that are built into the operating system were mostly what you needed? Because one of the things that we talk about a lot on our podcast is that a lot of the apps that are accessible to us are accidentally accessible. And they're accidentally accessible right. because there are things that are built into the operating system that voiceover is just going to automatically recognize without the developer having to do anything. But there are some things that you are going to have to go into and specifically take the time to make sure, okay, does voiceover actually understand this? Yes. I think that what happened was that we accidentally made our game inaccessible. So it's, it's not that... Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. It's, indeed, I think that Apple's tools are very good for this. Their screen reader uh, technology is excellent. But the, we'd created a specific problem where we'd made the graphical component of the game. The rest of our interface was built with parts with the interface widgets from Apple. So it was lists uh -huh. and buttons, which Apple right. uh, already was very capable of reading out. Uh, and okay. uh, for the most part, also read out correctly. Though uh -huh. there are some cases where, for instance, uh, we abbreviated text in the interface. And actually, when there's a voiceover interface, that you have the opportunity for the whole thing to be read out instead of the truncated sentence. So sure. there are ways that we were able to improve parts of the interface. But really, the problem was that we developed a bespoke component for the bit where you saw Able Township in our right. zombie universe. And it was that component which Apple had no idea how to deal with and which was thus inaccessible. Uh -huh. So, yeah, it was interesting then because in Zombies Run 2, to develop Zombies Run 2 to be accessible, my original approach 
was that uh, we would detect if voiceover was enabled on the device. And if that was the case, we would provide an alternative base management interface that instead of using graphics was built out of lists and buttons. But while that was working, and actually also while that proved quite helpful in development, because Uh it's very useful to be able to build the logic for the base before having built the graphics for the base. So actually building an interface out of lists and buttons is a good starting interface anyway. But we discovered that it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right to take away to provide a different interface. Fundamentally, the problem was that part of the new base builder in season two, the puzzle is to jigsaw your buildings together uh, and, and to arrange them correctly on the screen so that they fit into your base as efficiently as possible. But if we presented an alternative interface made out of lists and buttons, then this meant that people who were using the voiceover interface wouldn't be able to play the game of arranging the buildings into the most optimal arrangement. So instead, we built an accessible interface. Right, because we still wouldn't understand. Yes, it's very difficult for labels and lists and buttons to explain the shape of a building and to give you a mechanism to choose where to place the building so that it fits around other buildings. So we worked harder and instead built an accessible interface that has the full map on it and that allows you to choose where in the base to put the building and that has a way of uh, that, that can speak aloud the shape of a building so that you can tell how to fit it together with the other buildings. Awesome. I actually haven't played with messing with my base. I'll have to go spend some time doing that. <laughs> yes, if you've upgraded to season two, I, I hope you can. In fact, by this point, because we were building season two, we'd hired many new developers. Then we have uh, Lewis and Babu and Mo, who all do Zombies Run development now. And indeed, Uh I've actually recently moved on to new projects and and they're doing the job of fixing issues with the current version and uh, they're getting ready for what comes next as well. So it's our developer, Mo, who really uh, got us to the finishing gate in terms of completing the base interface. And what was a delight to me was being able to see that we didn't have to remove any functionality. We could actually provide all of the functionality of the base in an accessible in-base rather than having to cut corners just to make something usable. Well, and I think that from my perspective, I really appreciate that you guys were able to find a way to make it accessible. And not only that, but to realize that spatial awareness is not something that's necessarily impossible for somebody who has vision loss. So if you consider the fact that a majority of the people who are blind or visually impaired have actually had vision sometime in their lifetime, I'm an example of that. So I have a degenerative disease. But even people who've been blind from birth, if there's a way that we can teach them from a young age, spatial understanding is actually something that they can grasp. Sure. There's a another game that I've been playing called Solera, and the developer also has had kind of the insight to say, okay, well, not only are you allowed to see all of the buildings that are in your castle, but you uh-huh. can actually arrange them and move them around. And yes. that's pretty neat. We did come to the same conclusion ourselves. It seemed rude, fundamentally, to assume that <laughs> the problem was beyond a person. So uh, we were thrilled to find a way to implement the full interface, the full complexity. Awesome. And we appreciate that since one of the struggles I think that people who have disabilities face on a daily basis is is getting people to open their mind and say, you know, I don't really understand how you do things, but I <laughs> shouldn't assume that you can't. Right. You just have to do them in a different way. And obviously you've gotten to this point, so you must have figured out what those ways would be. Sure. I'm far from an expert and we're we're still Uh learning and we still receive feedback from all of our users telling us uh, about uh, what works in our app and what doesn't work in our app. And so we're constantly learning. 
But the feedback, I think, is critical. We wouldn't have even thought to focus on the accessibility of our app without our players getting in touch with us with wonderfully positive messages, but at the same time letting us know where our app was deficient. And uh, that's been absolutely invaluable. So yes, I'm certain that the vast majority of developers will be extremely receptive to making their apps more accessible, but you need to reach out to them for sure. Indeed. And I appreciate you reminding all of our listeners of that. I will tell you from what I do know is that for the majority of app developers, they are very receptive. We tend to get the deaf ear when we're dealing with large companies, (laughs) but Uh, it's okay. We deal. Um, One thing that's been explained to me is that oftentimes large corporations are not in charge of the development of their app at all. Right, yes. They hire a company that they may not have, you know, it's probably a contract. And so they hire this company to do the application. And then when we contact them, their basic answer is, well, we don't really know what to do about it. (laughs) So (laughs) either that or they don't reply at all. Sure, I can see that is very disappointing. But I think that's one of the great things about the iOS platform is that there are hundreds of thousands of applications. And I think probably a large majority of those apps are developed by startups or small companies like Six to Start. So I think that's a real asset to people who need accessible technology. I think it probably is. Yes, I think that it does make a kind of sense. I think that a large company wouldn't be as able to respond to these kinds of issues. But but, uh, yes, we are a very small company. So our players are essentially getting in touch with us directly. Like it's a small office. We all hear about all of the issues. So uh, it's people doing things for people. Like we want to make our app better for our players. It's a tight loop. It's very easy for us to see the importance of doing the work and and then to go ahead and do it. Just for our listeners' knowledge, um, I've not used any of the Android devices. Is the game available on the Android market? And is it accessible with probably TalkBack? That would be the screen reader. Uh, The game is available on Android, yes. Okay. And... um, uh, with the second version of the game, uh, many more of the features are available. In the case of uh, version one, Android was uh-huh. constantly playing catch up. Um, okay. With uh, version two, we're much better. We have much be- better feature parity. Uh, but okay. uh, in fact, accessibility is something we haven't focused on in okay. Android. And I personally don't really know what condition the game is in on okay. Android. And uh, one of the reasons for that is because we don't hear from players so much. Uh, so uh, the reason for that could be that well, there are, the population is much smaller. Uh, well, I think I think there there are more Android users in the world than there are iPhone users. Correct, but it's the visually impaired community that you're not going to have the numbers on. Right. It makes sense that more people have contacted us on iOS, and uh, it's clear that we can assist more people by prioritizing delivering accessibility on iOS. But uh, when we hear that there are Android users similarly stranded, then that will be our cue uh, uh-huh. to investigate and to do something there about you go. it. You mentioned that you've moved on to other projects. And yes. I got to see an article, I think it was a month ago, talking about your guys' upcoming game. Yes. So do you want to tell our listeners about The Walk? Because uh, I'm really excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's our new fitness game, and uh, it's aimed slightly differently, as implied by the title. And we like the core of the game to be clear from the title. Uh, We are encouraging people in this game to spend more time walking. So that means it works slightly differently. Whereas with Zombies Run, the game happens as you run. 
In the case of the walk, it's an app that you run all day. So uh, when you start the day, you can start the walk and you can say, okay, I I will play an episode of the walk today. And then you will receive Mm -hmm. a target that will tell you how much walking you should do in this day to complete this part of the story. And then uh, with your phone in your pocket, the phone will track your activity throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, you can see your progress and the story unfolds in proportion to the amount of walking that you've done. So we're hoping that for people that are less keen on actually running, and uh, I got to say, it's it's a it's a, it's a tricky thing to get into. Like it turns out, past the most casual kind of running, you need a lot of extra equipment to run well. And also, uh, it's I've discovered like it's quite easy to injure yourself. It's a tough thing to do. Yeah. Running is scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I, I imagine it, it would be scary if you don't have the benefit. I walk very quickly, but uh, running has never been my thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we hope that, uh, that by making a game that instead encourages people to walk, we can reach a whole new audience. That sounds awesome. One thing, and I'm not sure you could, if you can answer this yet since the app hasn't been released, but uh, I used another app a while ago that would similarly track my movement and I did it mainly to see how much I was walking throughout the day. Uh-huh. And the battery life drain was pretty awful. <laughs> so I ended up getting rid of the application because I couldn't afford for my phone to just die in the middle of the day. Yes. Is that something that's being addressed with the new operating system or just changes in the way that the app ends up? kind of pinging your phone, I guess? Yes, absolutely. It's something we work, we're working extremely hard on. So uh, th- this is okay. the hardest problem to solve with making an activity tracker type app, which explains why Apple now, right. uh, they've introduced a, an entire extra chip inside the device to make the problem easier right. to solve. But uh, we want to bring the walk to Android as well. So we okay. are developing a solution that uh, can take advantage of the chip for sure this new Apple chip, but we believe our solution is very energy efficient, even on Android devices. And uh, this is all down to the hard work of Alex Primavesi, another one of our developers. Uh, And he's uh, he's got some superb algorithms. Like I'm really impressed with his work. I think what we have working in our app is significantly more advanced than the approaches that the other apps on the market are taking. Like um, in our testing currently, we see only a marginal increase in battery usage on the device. You can run the app all day and your battery uh, uh, seems to be virtually the same. So we we think we've really nailed that. What's the storyline? Because I I know what it is, but I I we should get to tell people. Indeed, it's another Naomi Alderman original. And uh, Uh some early indicators from a number of people have uh, suggested that it's even better than Zombies Run. <laughs> I think it's a great concept. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it takes place in a universe where we we had to create a place where your usual reasons for getting around are not available. So the, the story is that there has been a blast, uh, some kind of electromagnetic pulse that has uh, disabled uh, all of the public transport. And also with uh, everybody's cars uh, being filled with computers these days in this near-term future, uh, none of the cars work either. Uh-huh. And uh, you are tasked with a mission of utmost importance to relay a significant object, a very significant object, from your starting point in Venice to a distant location, and you have no choice but to get there on foot. Sounds great. It should be, hopefully. There's a huge cast of characters, many people that you meet along the way, some of them friends, some of them enemies, some will begin friends and turn into enemies. All of the usual good stuff. 
That sounds awesome. Yeah, it should be great. <laughs> Very cool. And when when do you guys uh, are you projecting uh, a timeline for when we should be seeing the walk? Yes, I asked Adrian this question specifically today to make sure I uh-huh. didn't say something I wasn't allowed to say, and he said I'm allowed yeah, to right? say <laughs> late this year. That's when the game is coming out. Late this year. Okay, late this year. I, yeah. I like that. We of course says fans wish that we got a more distinct timeline but you know <laughs> i understand well we're, we're working very very hard and i'm uh i'm i'm really excited uh, for this game to come out as well because uh zombies run was, yeah. was a big success but i i hope that, that well in, indeed we want to continue the success we want to continue making games that are just enough to add to your life to make the thing happen the best thing about making zombies run has been the amazing volume of feedback we've received from people who said i didn't run before and i do run now and uh, and if we can do that again with the walk then we'll be very very happy people indeed yeah when you got hired or when you decided to go into development on the ios platform did you envision fitness or was that something that kind of just fell into your lap it fell into my lap absolutely yes uh-huh. six to start before we made zombies run we were uh, a consulting company and we would be approached okay. by other companies to make games and we made games for the BBC and for Wired magazine. Mm-hmm. And in fact, my first project when I joined the company was to create a web-based game for Death Cab for Cutie's new album launch. So, how oh, fun! Yeah, it was. It was a really interesting project. It was. It was very <laughs> exciting. So, Zombies Run was a major departure for the company because it was going to be a game that we were going to develop internally and then sell directly yeah. ourselves. So uh, it was scary. But uh, obviously it was a great choice. Uh, we're, we're delighted with where we are now. And uh, it was such a good idea, clearly. We discovered, indeed, yeah. we did an entire Kickstarter campaign. And when we said to people, this is how it'll work, you'll run in the real world, and right. it will sound like you're being chased by zombies. And people said, I absolutely want that. And so it, it was a goer. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that we continue to innovate in this space. You guys jumped on a trend that doesn't seem to have ended. So, you know, zombies, zombies still seem to be the, the indeed. In thing. Yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, indeed. I mean, they, 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 once, once or twice it has been suggested that zombies may be an, an not going to be the big thing forever. But, uh, yes, you're, you're right. We definitely struck a winning formula. Oh, you know, I don't know. There have definitely been some, some movies and television series that, uh, I don't consider high quality entertainment, but uh, <laughs> well, yes, thanks. It's thanks. Interesting. Na- Naomi Oldman has, uh, but has you guys, knocked it out of the park. You guys yeah. definitely did a, a <laughs> yeah. You guys did a great job of creating a world that, for me, it's interesting enough, and it's a really great companion when I'm going on my walks. Great, but it's fun, and like I said, I in the uh, some of the earlier episodes where you kind of feel like you really are being chased is good way to remind you that you got to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I think that uh, sums it up for me. I really appreciate all the insight and, and answering all of my questions. No problem. It's been a pleasure. I hope that our listeners who who don't have the game will go out and get it and, <laughs> and so be excited about the walk as much as I am. <laughs> I guess there's one other thing I have to ask, and that's something we've been wondering on our show is, was transitioning to iOS 7 a challenge as a developer? Or was it, are people blowing that kind of change 
uh, out of proportion. It's uh, yes, as I said, I, I recently um, started. Well, I'm working full time on the walk now. So uh, Mo, who yeah. did the real meat of the accessibility work, he also delivered uh, the new iOS seven version, and uh, we we do indeed okay. we already have our iOS seven version out. So we're extremely proud of that. Indeed, I've. I've gotten that one. Yes. So, uh, yes, I, I Mo uh, fed back uh, considerably. Uh, it's, it sounds like it's been a very interesting development process that required uh, okay. uh, Mo to be very on the ball and in touch with uh, the Apple development community to keep track of what was changing. And uh, indeed, we've you. had to uh, significantly modify the interface to work with the new look of the system. The crux of it really is that where the, oh, okay. the notification bar at the top used to have its own space now it always blends in with the rest of the interface so that meant a lot of the oh, interface elements had to be moved around and they had to change size and and i understand that was quite a fiddle uh-huh. but yeah that was uh, the meat of the work and um, mo did it handily and on time and yeah it's done <laughs> indeed it's been fascinating to watch uh, this of course will end up being aired probably in october right. but it's been fascinating to watch the number of updates that I've been getting sure. over the last two or three yes, days. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know? Maybe we should mention the the website that they can contact you guys at if they have questions or just want to provide a feedback of, hey, thanks for the really awesome game. Absolutely, yes. Uh, the game, obviously, can be, uh, you can find lots of information about it at zombiesrungame.com. And uh, I'm Alex, so uh, if you want to write to me directly, my email address is alex at 6to-start, and uh, I'd be delighted to hear from you. And is it 6to-start.com, or do you guys have one of the funky UK Sorry, yes, addresses? alex at 6to-start.com. Okay. I never know what the rules on, the, on that are. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Triple click home.